The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, your good things, and Lazarus in life manner evil things but now he is comforted here and you are in agony besides all this between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us he said then father i beg you to send him to my father's house for i have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Gracious God, create in us renewed hearts that this day and every day from here we may participate in your redeeming compassion and live out of your inspiration. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Inspirer. Amen. Jeremiah spoke a word he had heard from the God of Israel. Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought 
in this land. I know if you're anything like me, reading this phrase, you might start to wonder. It doesn't have the makings of an inspiring phrase, the kind of inspiring phrase that we might find in Psalm 91 to get us through the hard times, a mantra of sorts that we could cling to. Let me offer to you that Jeremiah's message is really a deed that carries a message, one that can speak to today amid the difficulties we face in our own era. Maya Angelou wrote the book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and she sourced the title phrase from her book from the poem Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, an African-American poet who was also a high school friend and classmate of one of the Wright brothers. Dunbar wrote, I know why the caged bird sings, Ami, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and would be free, it is not a carol of joy or glee, but a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings. I know why the caged bird sings. Jeremiah was a caged bird of sorts. In our first reading, he was actually in a sort of cage within a cage confined at the court of the guard in Jerusalem while the entire city of Jerusalem was surrounded by the Babylonian army. Held under siege, this was confinement upon confinement. His experience in the court of the guard was a microcosm of the experience of all of Jerusalem, and it prefigured the experience of the king and many of the societal elites who would later be held in captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah was taking action for freedom, operating within and yet also beyond these multiple layers of captivity. Jeremiah was a man overwhelmed and in mourning. Good grief. His whole book could have been a creative response to an unexpectedly awful situation. And while we all have benefited from his prophetic words and imagery, I'm also mindful of both the pain and the emotional labor found in his experience and in his good deeds. One of the many ways that the church has upside potential in our era of social media and generational segregation is that the church can be a place where stuff gets real. The church today can be a place where stuff gets personal. When Greta Thunberg said, the eyes of all future generations are upon you, that was a moment where stuff really did get personal for me. I began to consider for the first time in a way I'd never done before that my own child might one day look at me and feel betrayed by relative inaction, let down by what he or she saw as complacency in the face of climate change. Greta is not unlike Jeremiah in that she puts things in very stark terms she said, people are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. But she also provided a word of hope along with her words of caution. 
She refused to believe that we adults who had disappointed her so were evil. And I think she showed us courage, true courage, in her constructive actions based on her own inspiration. Jeremiah was similarly refusing to conform. Even in all his pessimism, he still refused to believe, refused to believe that Jerusalem would be utterly forsaken, refused to give up hope, even in the 11th hour with the enemy encamped all around them. Jeremiah credited God for telling people, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Jeremiah's transaction in our first reading is its own public act of faith, a public act of trust in God. If we wanted to engage in a little womanist midrash, building on our book story from this fall, for this fall, we could imagine that the word of God came to Jeremiah's cousin's unnamed wife, either directly or indirectly, such that she could have suggested to her hus husband, Hanamel, that he go to Jeremiah in Jeremiah's confinement and propose a sale of property. After all, Jeremiah had been instructed by God in chapter 16 not to marry or have children, but his cousin wasn't given that prohibition. And we can imagine Hanamel both settling down and having children. And if Hanamel was listening to both Jeremiah's foreboding predictions and the needs of her children, any wise woman would know that she would have much more need for liquid assets than her husband's cousin, that loner prophet who was so committed to talking about God in the public square. For all we know, the compilers of Scripture could have missed out on that conversation where Hanamel's unnamed wife set in motion her husband's property sale and her husband's cousin's resultant public declaration and act of trust. I'm used to witness or testimony being used in entirely separate legal or religious spheres, but here they are merged. When the sale happened, Jeremiah and Hanamel were enlisting their hearers and observers to bear witness, to be a part of testifying to Jeremiah's deed. And Jeremiah's purchase of that deed was based on trust, trust that God will restore the land that has been overrun. Being just three more miles north of Jerusalem, the field at Anathoth that Jeremiah purchased from his cousin that day could have easily been where the enemy, enemy was encamped at that very moment. Buying land on which your enemy is camped. This is the depth of Jeremiah's trust in God's promise of restoration. The question is, can we trust God? Like Jeremiah, like Hanamel's wife, if we imagine in our sanctified imagination that that conversation could have happened? Can we trust God for our own restoration when we are in the midst of our own overwhelming challenges? Can we believe that God will restore that which has been overrun in our lives? The Greek word for trust is the same as that for belief, pisteo. I personally find it much easier to hear the admonition or the encouragement to trust in God with all my heart than to believe in God with all my heart. 
But either way, the word in Latin is credere, the etymological root of our English word for credit. Jeremiah was, in effect, crediting God for the eventual return of the land. We might think of our bank accounts being backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. We might speak of the good credit that a trust of a particular loan, that that loan would be repaid. Or we might think of being credited for a particular success or the credits reel at the end of a movie. We might think of a bookkeeper's ledger where credits are made on one side of an account and debits are made on the other. If I'm honest, I do credit God for having brought restoration into my past relationships and situations. I can say that despite all I've lost and all the mistakes I've made over the years, God still has good credit in my book. I trust that the God of Israel is a God of new life and in my life and in the lives of others. Although I've had my moments of incredulity too. I think our second reading from the book, from the first letter to Timothy, is a helpful complement to Jeremiah's situation. The letter reminds us that the truly great gain is to be found in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Jeremiah's godliness is not a means to a reward. Striving and suffering for the sake of healing is its own reward. In our better moments, we can give thanks to, for faith, for God's redemption, for good work, and for the opportunity to be a part of God's work of security and social justice, however small our part might feel as we undertake it. But while the rich man suffered from a lack of loving kindness, Jeremiah, Hanamel, Hanamel's wife, if we imagine her, they engage with one another for the very sake of loving kindness. Both our story from the book of Jeremiah and our gospel present us with two situations in dire need of redemption. Redemption that overcomes death in the grave, a redeeming compassion that brings new life into the places of deepest darkness and utter hopelessness. And I'm thankful, as I imagine Hanamel's wife and as I imagine Hanamel and Jeremiah for the faith they had to trust that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Amen.